بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد کریم الحمد للہ جنائٹ از دا سیونٹینتھ آف مارچ ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and to hopefully start another subsection. So in a report by Hafiz Abu Layth Sabal Qandi rahmatullahi in his Tanbihul Ghafileen page 173 of the English translation he mentions the companions radiyallahu ta'ala anhu they once asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sometimes we desire something But we cannot get it because we do not have enough wealth. Will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward us for this? He said, said, If you do not get a reward for that, then when will you get a reward? So note here another aspect of the divine mercy. And this is obviously predominantly for those who are poor. But not just the poor. <laughs> And you desire something and you haven't got the wealth. So think about that. How often does that happen? You know, you might even see a property, for instance. You think, I wouldn't mind living here next to a masjid. You know, I've got four bedrooms, but I can't afford it. Allah Ta'ala rewards you for it. That's his generosity. The Prophet actually said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if you do not get a reward for that, when will you get it? Meaning, you think Allah Ta'ala is going to deprive you. So note, did you ask for the reward? The answer is no. Why is Allah Ta'ala giving without asking? Because He is the most merciful, the most generous. Ad-Dahaq, he further explained, Rahmatullahi, if someone goes to the market and sees something and thereupon desires to have it but cannot afford it, he then shows patience and hopes for reward. He will graciously receive a greater reward Then giving in sadaqah 100,000 dirhams. Subhanallah. In Danbihul Ghafileen, page 173 of the English translation. So now there's a few conditions. So Ad-Dahaq, he's from the era of the Tabatabi'een, Rahmatullah Ali, he's from the Salaf. Because you go to the market, you can't afford to buy a certain thing. You show patience. Now what's interesting, both those things are usually mentioned for famous narrations. Whoever fasts in the month of Ramadan with Iman, An ihtisab, Allah Ta'ala will forgive all his previous sins, famous reports. Here it mentions you show patience and you hope for reward. Now look how amazing. You have got a reward greater than if you gave a hundred thousand dirhams in sadaqah. You didn't give a penny. So why is Allah Ta'ala giving you all that reward? So the scholars point out, the poor have a greater access to this divine treasure. For they will experience this for even the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. I food, simple beverage and coarse clothing amongst other things. So they have a greater access. Now think about that. Is this well known? So imagine you go to the poor, the poorer people and you congratulate them. Say congratulations. Congratulations on what? Because you've been given a treasure we haven't got access to. So on the face of it, it looks like you're taking the mic. But then you explain. He said, look, how often 
do you wish for something and you haven't got the meat? And I'm sure the poor will say every day this goes to like even like let's make it practical. Meat is gone sky high. The people back in the Muslim lands they can't afford meat. So every time they want meat, they have patience and they hope for reward. That is greater than giving a hundred thousand dirhams in sadaqah. <coughs> They're having that access to that divine treasure. And of course, Allah Ta'ala will surely give the poor a great honor. And of course, He has. Whilst those better off may experience this for objects which are more difficult. For instance, a new car, a larger dwelling, being able to buy plane tickets to see one's family, etc., etc. You can't afford it. And inshallah, you have patience and uh, hope for a reward. You will get the reward of more than a hundred thousand in sadaqah. Subhanallah. Hafiz ibn Rajab rahmatullah he relates in his Lata'if al-Ma'arif, page 136 of the English translation. A person once made the following amazing dua. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, show mercy to me. For you have said, and he recited, Surah Al-A'raf, Surah 7, verse 56. إِنَّ رَحْمَةَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Verily your mercy is close to those who deal in excellence. And if I have not done any excellence, you subhanahu wa ta'ala have said, and he recited, Surah Ahzab, Surah 33, verse 43. وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ الرَّحِيمًا He is merciful to the believers. And if I am not like the believers, then I am a thing. And you have said, and he recited Surah Al-A'raf, verse 156, My mercy encompasses everything. So look how beautiful. Hafiz ibn Rajab said, what an amazing dua. <laughs> He wants the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if he had said, Ya Allah, forgive me, no problem. You are the most merciful, no problem. How is he asking? He's going through three verses of the Quran. And each of the three verses are talking about Allah's mercy, but different. The first is for the elite. So what does Allah say about the elite? His mercy is close to the muhsineen, the people of excellence. So the man said, if I am not a man of excellence, then he recites a second verse. He is merciful to the believers. He goes, if I am not like the believers, I am a shay, I am a thing. Because you have said, my mercy encompasses everything. So Hafiz ibn Rajab said, subhanallah. Because this is how the people ask Allah for his mercy. And note, what better way to ask? Than through the Quran. Allah's words are, you know, conclusive. And which one of us doesn't fall into one of those three categories? If somebody goes, look, I'm not amongst the muhsin. Fair enough, brother. Are you a believer? He goes, well, I don't know, brother, Muslim. Are you a thing? If he says no to that, then he's got something wrong with him. But Allah says, my mercy encompasses everything. Subhanallah. As the Honorable Hafiz Samarkandi so rightly said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even prepared to forgive kufr, unbelief. In Surah Al-Anfal, Surah 8 verse 38, he says, 
Inform the unbelievers. If they repent from their unbelief, they will be forgiven all that has passed. Those if unbelief, which is a mighty crime, can be forgiven, others must surely be forgivable. Subhanallah. Now think about that. Sometimes a person says, Brother, you blown it. That's a very dangerous thing to say. A person goes, why? Look at the crimes he's committed. Is any crime worse than unbelief? No. If you think that, that also puts you in a very dangerous category. So somebody goes, what's number one on the list of sins? Kufr, unbelief. And there's nothing equals to that. What does Allah say about numero uno, the sin numero uno? He says, if they repent from unbelief, I will forgive. So Hafiz Sabar Gandhi says, then how can you not <coughs> expect Allah not to forgive less than that? So this is why he mentions that in the Quran. So Hafiz Sabar Gandhi goes, this is the most merciful of those who show mercy, the best of those who show mercy. So subhanAllah, note, when it comes to the divine mercy, Allah is truly unparalleled, i.e. in this and in all areas. So moving on to our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There's a report which is fascinating. Qadi Iyad mentions this in his Shifa, volume 2, page 27. Someone saw the king of Khorasan, Amr ibn al-Layth, rahmatullahi who was known as As-Safar in a dream, and asked him, what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala done with you? So let's put the pieces together. So there's a righteous king. His name is Khorasan. Somebody saw him in a dream. And he's passed away. He goes, what has Allah done with you, O king? So Amr, rahmatullah he said, Allah has forgiven. The next question, what secured your forgiveness? Amr, rahmatullah he said, once I climbed the top of a mountain and I looked at my soldiers, I was happy that there were so many. But then I wished that I could have lived during the lifetime of Rasulullah so I could have supported him with all these soldiers. Allah the Almighty and Glorious appreciated that desire and he forgave Subhanallah. <laughs> So look at how interesting. So he's a king. He's forgiven. Well, secured his forgiveness. It was an intention. It wasn't even a deed. So he saw all the, you know, the people under his authority. And he had a love for the Prophet Because if I lived, you know, oh my Lord, I would have helped your Prophet. Allah forgave him for that. So what does that mean? What it means is that veneration for Rasulullah secures forgiveness. How often is the case Then one, one hears or reads about our beloved messenger's life, the thought invariably goes to the mind and heart. I wish I could have been there to serve, protect and give my life for him. Who knows? Through these sincere intentions, maybe we have been forgiven. Look, that was interesting. So that's why the seed of this priceless. You go through all the heart-rendering moments of the Prophet's life and what goes to your heart? Because I wish I was there to protect him. That Allah Not that Allah made a mistake. Obviously, he chose the companions. 
isn't that a desire that goes to the heart? Allah Ta'ala even looks at that to secure the forgiveness of your sins. Such is the status of our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he would be given gifts without even asking. <coughs> now think about that. For instance, in Fatt al-Bari, volume 1, page 122, Hafiz ibn Hajar Askalani, he recited the following verse. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2, verse 144. قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاحِ فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبْلَةً تَرْضَاهَا فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ We have seen the turning of your face to the heavens. Now shall we turn you to a Qibla that will please you. Turn your face in the direction of the sacred masjid. Ibn Hajjad said, Rahmatullah, this denotes the dignity and honor of Rasulullah in his Lord's estimation. For he gave him what he wished without him asking for it. So look how interesting. So question, what was wrong with asking? So obviously, you think, okay, what well, Rasulullah asked, Ya Allah, please allow us to face the Qibla. What's wrong with that? So what do you think is wrong with that? So obviously he's incapable, he's protected from sin. So that's off the charts. So why did he not ask? Is it because Allah SWT already chose that first Qibla, so he didn't want to like change it to a... Okay, that's very good. You're under the, you're very warm. Is it humility? Humility, very good. But clarify, what, what does that mean, humility? Okay, but again, why? What harm is there in asking? Hmm. Allah Ta'ala chose the Qibla. 123,999 prophets. That was their Qibla. It was his Qibla as well. For more than half his life. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He felt, you know, shy. He goes, you know, all of my brothers, and I am the final messenger. So all he did, the Quran says, he looked at the heavens. That's all as, as far as he got. So Allah Ta'ala knows what's in the heart. So what does he say? We have seen you turning your face to the heavens. Now shall we turn you to a Qibla that will please you. Turn your face to the Masjid al-Haram. Because he didn't ask. Allah Ta'ala loved him too much that he gave him without asking. And this also shows how we should venerate the previous prophets. Think about that. You know, sometimes you talk about uh, an incident and there's no harm in us, for example, saying, Alhamdulillah, we didn't have to go through that. <laughs> but somebody could question you. He goes, but the prophet went through that. So what do you mean? And then also you go, no, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> so for instance, you know, the previous prophets, what did they have to go through? They could only pray in designated places, masjids. So for us to say, well, thank God we don't have to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if somebody pauses the question, but what about the Prophet? 
You including him in that as well. So it's bare dub. You know, out of veneration, you don't make those statements, right? You say Alhamdulillah. You don't start saying we were safe from that because that would attribute maybe something that you were given preference over the Prophet. Astaghfirullah. So Lord, people are very flippant here. They say things, they don't even know what they're saying sometimes. Well, Allah Ta'ala will take you to task for that. Especially when it comes to the final Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Another example. Similar was the case with regards to his blessed heart being expanded without asking. Alam nashrah laqa sadraq. Have we not expanded for you your heart or your, your, your inner chest? Surah 94 verse 1. But Musa wasalam, was given this when he asked. Rabbi shrahli sadri. Oh my Lord, expand for me my breast. Surah Taha, Surah 20, verse 25. So what is this, first of all? So why did Allah Ta'ala expand the heart of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? So the scholars, they say, it definitely happened once. Definitely. Many of the scholars said it happened twice. And more, some other ulama said it happened more than twice. So without going into the fiqh, why did it happen on different occasions? The first was when he was a child. So why was his blessed heart, you know, uh, cleansed when he was a child? So the scholars say he's ma'asum anyway. <laughs> but Allah Ta'ala was giving him extra, even as a child. Then, when he went uh, on the mihraj, why did Allah Ta'ala do it again? He was preparing him for the heavenly journey, to be in the divine presence, to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, etc, etc. And then he mentions other times it happened as well. But did he ever ask for it? Look how interesting. Not once did he say, Ya Allah, please expand my, you know, purify my heart, expand my heart. Allah Ta'ala goes, haven't we done this for you? And yet, one of the great five, Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, he asked for it. Rabbi shrahli sadri, expand for me my breast. Being asked and being given without asking, our poles apart. Right? So note, you can see the fine difference what Allah Ta'ala is doing. With regards to the eloquence of Rasulullah, the Hanafi Sheikh Yusuf Motala, who recently passed away, Rahmatullah, in his book, The Beauty of Prophet Muhammad, page 131 to 133, he said, Besides the Qur'an, the words of the ahadith springing from the Prophet's pure tongue comprise of rhythm, rhythmical structures because his words are like they're flowing. And then he gives an example. In Sayyid Bukhari, the Prophet he said, Qalimatani habibatani ilal rahman khafifatani alal lisan thaqilatani fil mizan Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al-Azim. So after quoting the hadith, the Shaykh says, this is just one example. It is beyond an unlettered person to utter words on his own accord of such nature. He is rendered inefficacious without the aid of revelation to articulate in this manner. He will struggle to recite them even if they are dictated to him. Is an unlettered person able to produce words of this caliber? Even if a competent person composed the eloquent prose for him, he would still be incapable of his articulation. 
The noble prophet himself pronounced these words at the time of Surah Al-An'am's revelation. So what's the Shaykh saying? He goes, if you look at his eloquence, he goes, it's unmatched. Kalimatani habibatani ilal rahman khafifatani alal lisan thakilatani fil mizan. English, there are two words, two phrases, beloved to the most merciful. They are light on the tongue, but heavy on the scale. Is that eloquence? The Prophet didn't speak English. That's the problem. You just give the meaning. You've lost everything. The Prophet said, Kalimatani habibatani ilal rahman khafifatani alal lisan thakilatani fil mizan. So the, imagine the first audience hearing this, thinking it's like poetry, you know, eloquence flowing like a river from his blessed mother. Sheikh was unbelievable. The Prophet announced these words at the time of An'am's revelation. It was not brought to the Prophet by a single angel. Rather, the Prophet had said an army of angels, 70,000 descended with this surah. Upon seeing them, he said, Subhanallah al-Azim. It is in practicing this sunnah that Imam Bukhari selected this hadith to finish his monumental sahih. The very last hadith of Imam Bukhari sahih is this hadith. Somebody goes, how many hadiths in Bukhari Sharif? Over seven and a half thousand. Why did he end his compilation with this hadith? The scholars say this shows he was a scholar par excellence. One reason was to highlight you are now going back to normal speech after this. <laughs> he goes, this is the Prophet speaking. Nobody can compete with him. <laughs> Secondly, Allah Ta'ala, he wants to show to you how easily he will forgive you. So Imam Bukhari was saying, don't worry. These two phrases are very light on the tongue, but they're heavy in the scale. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim. Because I have hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what's amazing, Imam Bukhari finished his sahih with this. And famously, what do we know about Imam Bukhari's sahih? For each of the hadith he put into his collection, <coughs> he did two rakats. And he did the two rakats in front of the Prophet's uh, blessed grave. And the scholars say, as if he was requesting the Prophet for accepting the hadith. That's in Bukhari in his Tariq al-Kabih. So if he did 7,500 plus hadiths, times that by two, how many dakas did he do? Over 15,000. The hadith in Sayyid Bukhari. But he ended it with this. And the last thing I want to mention is with regards to the sight of Rasulullah. Sheikh Maulana Yusuf Mutala Rahmatullah in his booklet, The Beauty of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, page 399. He quotes the hadith in Sayyid Bukhari where the Prophet said, I see you behind me. I see you behind me. The hadith scholars have advanced various explanations of this hadith. But Sheikh Zakaria has offered a fascinating insight that Allah the Almighty will grant every soul of paradise the ability to see in every direction at one time. So stop in the court. So when you enter paradise, you ask a person, what are you looking at? He goes, I'm looking at paradise. And he goes, can you uh, add a few details? He goes, yes, I'm looking. And then he goes, are you looking behind you? 
Then the guy looked and goes, what do you mean? Because you're looking in paradise. So are you looking behind you? He goes, why would I look? I, you look forward. He goes, oh, brother. The people of paradise see all directions. Sheikh Zakaria said. Then he said, hence when Rasulullah entered paradise on the night of Mihraj, at the time he was given all the blessings of paradise with which he returned back to the world. Amongst them was the blessing of the power of seeing. And just as this was not returned from him, the strength of grappling and intimacy, which was also obtained from paradise, remained with him. So before he went on the Mihraj, he was a perfect man. But when he entered paradise, Allah gave him more by his grace. So the Sheikh Yusuf Mutala Sahib said, so Rasulullah could see everywhere. A person goes, what do you mean everywhere? He goes, he could see 8 o'clock, 4 o'clock, you know, 6 o'clock. Because some say this was only in Salat. That's not correct. One of the Salaf said in Fatul Bari, this was his condition all the time. So imagine you're behind Rasulullah. He's looking at you. Now when you go to Rasulullah's grave, Bawli Bali Musulman in it. Somebody goes, oh, I, I, you know, I'm out of sight. Are you? Out of whose sight? I can't see him. Well, maybe you can't. That's right. You can't. But maybe he can see you. So the law says, where was he given this honor? Jannah. And the Sheikh Zakaria goes, this is how he was given this honor by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he added, he was given the strength of the people of paradise. So what's the strength? So easily you can understand what's our height in paradise? 60. 68 Okay, so in meters you're talking about 30 meters. So even an average man, if you elevate him to 30 meters, how much strength has he got? Rasulullah had that in his normal frame. So that's why Ali said what he said. And Allah chose Ali. Why? Because he was the most ferocious warrior. In Imam Ahmad's Musnad Sahih, he goes, When the fighting became intense, the bravest of us was seeking shelter behind Rasulullah. Like Sheikh Hamza mentioned, he goes, The Christians have not seen Christ on the battlefield. That's why they find it strange when you say battle and prophets. You know, they start saying Muhammad, he was a prophet in Makkah. But he became a warrior because they don't understand. Look, a prophet is a prophet whether he's on the battlefield or not. But on the battlefield, this is how they act. Where is he getting that strength from? <laughs> he was struck 70 times on his face in Uhud. Shouldn't you be martyred with a strike 70 times? He was given the strength of the people of paradise. <laughs> That's why Hafiz ibn Taymiyyah said he never killed anybody on the battlefield except one. And that was with the grace. Now, what's, why is that shocking? If you are going into a situation where you have to kill to save your own life, is it easier for you to kill others or not to kill them in the battle? It's easy for you to kill. You think, well, I'm going to go out all guns blazing. I'm going to get shot, killed, whatever. But he never killed so how was his bravery shown? What was he doing on the battlefield? As Ali goes, we were the you know the bravest was behind. 
Meaning he was fighting, but he wasn't killing. That was his rahmah. <laughs> Which person can follow that sunnah? He was given the strength of intimacy. The Hazrat Anas said, in one afternoon, Rasulullah went to all his wives. That's all he said. Right? So, so it's Jannah. He went into paradise. He saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The people of paradise see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People say, why did, did he see? Did he not see? He entered Jannah. You know, every person in paradise sees Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, why am I mentioning all this? Because the Prophet he was honored above others. And everything is documented in the most authentic collections. It's not something which is strange. The tragedy is it's not mentioned in the books of Seerah. A lot of the famous Seerahs don't mention these special traits of the Prophet You get this impression, he was a great man, he was you know, a mighty man, and he lived a great life. Can you blame a person for thinking like that? If you've not mentioned anything about the Prophet in terms of his qualities. But once you hear of these qualities, you don't start making statements like that. You start saying, he was a sinless man. He was a unique man. He was a phenomenal man. He was beyond comprehension. Then a person goes, well, what are you talking about? And then you realize this person has been exposed to the khasais of the Prophet Allah has honored them. And it's not just the Prophet. In Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet said, the eyes of the Prophets and messengers sleep, their hearts are always awake. Every Prophet was given this to some degree. They're aware. So when they were sleeping, they know what's happening. Do you know what's happening? <laughs> and that's why the Hadith, now this is what's fascinating. There's a Hadith where the Prophet missed the Fajr. He slept through. So a person goes, well, hang on a minute. He goes, his eyes sleep, but his heart doesn't. So what happened there? And the response there is Allah covered the heart as well. <laughs> right? So that it was the reason Allah caused that to happen. But the hadith says he was the first to awake. And then he went to Bilal. What happened, Bilal? Right? And Bilal said, what happened to you happened to me, Ya Rasulullah. <laughs> Meaning, you know, if you were excused, then mere mortals, you know, what have we got? The Prophet didn't question him after that. He goes, go and do, get out, let's get out of this valley, shaitans in this valley. Go, let's do, and they did wudu, and they did kaza sunnah fajr. Look at the reward of the fajr sunnah. Time has elapsed, he still offered the two rakat sunnah. Then he did azan, iqamah, then he prayed the farad congregation kaza, proving he can do kaza congregation as well. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Imagine that one, which prayer is this with the fajr? It's dua time. Yeah, so we all missed it. Because you, you all missed it. And you know, no, no, this is, you know, <coughs> So all I mentioned today was basically two things. The first was wrapping up on the endless subsection with regards to the majesty of our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, how extremely generous and merciful he is. And then I mentioned a few things about our beloved messengers. Are there any questions you'll ask?